Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Last week, we started our journey of self-compassion. Self-compassion is a key part of cutting ourselves some slack. It's a combination of empathy and action. We're doing the things that'll let us put ourselves in front of the line when it comes to self-care. But self-compassion isn't easy. When we're being self-compassionate, we're trying to relate to ourselves in a way that's forgiving, accepting, and loving. But many of us have grown up with views that the only ways to push ourselves forward is by being overly critical of ourselves. A typical self-compassion practice has three parts. One, observing what's going on right now. That's mindfulness. Two, actively developing and building a healthier self-perspective. That's self-kindness. Three, connection with others. That's often called common humanity. Last week, we went over mindfulness. So here's a quick refresher before we move on to self-kindness and common humanity today. Mindfulness is about identifying those thoughts and feelings that we're having. And that helps us identify those thoughts that don't align with self-compassion. Remember, we don't have to believe everything we think. Mindfulness lets us become aware of those hurtful thoughts and emotions without blowing up their significance. We can accept our emotions with curiosity and openness when we feel sad, angry, or hurt. With mindfulness, we still feel our feelings. We're not trying to suppress our emotions. We're just letting ourselves observe what we're feeling. If you'd like to follow along with the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash selfcompassion2. Before we get started, I'd also like to take a moment to let everyone know about the Hacking Your ADHD Patreon. While the podcast will always remain free for everyone to listen to, it isn't free to produce. If you enjoy the show and would like to help support it financially, here's your chance. There are some great perks. For example, at the $10 level, I'm going to be releasing bonus content every month. And this month I put in a and this month I put up a mini episode on simple rules. These mini-sodes are topics that I come up with, but don't quite warrant a full episode. While I may use some of the same ideas in future episodes, those mini-sodes are going to remain exclusive to the Patreon. So if you'd like to hear about Simple Rules, just head over to patreon.com slash hackingyouradhd and sign up for the $10 a month tier. All right, keep on listening to find out what we can do to be more self-compassionate. All right, so we're going to get kicked off with self-kindness. So just from the name we can gather is about being kind to yourself. But that's also too simplistic of a view of it as well. Because when we get into it, what is being kind? Is it kind to let myself eat that brownie, even though I know it'll make me feel crappy later? Or is it kind to let myself play video games all day guilt-free, even though I have other things that I need to get done? So kindness might not even be the right word here. Because what kindness is, is complicated when we start looking at the implications of what the kind acts do later down the line. What might be a better term here is self-forgiveness. Because when I'm saying self-kindness, what I'm really talking about is being okay with who we are right now. We can define self-kindness as treating our worth as unconditional even when we fall short of our own expectations, and giving ourselves the tenderness and care we need. It's also about accepting our own imperfections. We all have shortcomings, and this can feel especially true with ADHD. But a big part of the acceptance is also accepting that we can change too. For example, with ADHD, we've got a tendency to be late. That's something that I've just had to accept. I have trouble with my awareness of time. But that doesn't mean I just let myself be late to everything. 
My accepting of my tendencies means that I can now work on using timers and alarms to get me where I need to be when I need to be there. And it's not always going to be a perfect system, so I can also help forgive myself with a great saying from Brendan Mahan, sometimes the ADHD wins. And sometimes it does. But that doesn't mean I should stop trying. Because self-kindness is accepting those shortcomings and those times that I fall flat on my face and being able to get back up and dust myself off and say, well, that didn't work out. Let's try something else. And one of the places that we often need to focus on being kind to ourselves is the language that we use. And while we can work on using kinder words with ourselves, there's one word in particular that's a special case. And that word is should. This is a word that we often use to judge and deride ourselves. It can feel innocent at first because we're just trying to state our intentions. But our should statements are really just ways for us to criticize ourselves. We say things like, I should go to the gym more. But what we're really thinking is, I should go to the gym more because I'm fat and lazy. Or, I should get back to work. But what we're really thinking is, I'm such a slacker, I don't deserve to be taking these breaks. Or, I should stop thinking this way. And what we're really thinking is, I just suck too much to change. When we're shooting on ourselves, we're setting ourselves up to be unkind to ourselves. It's not that the intention of, say, wanting to go to the gym more is bad. It's that when we use it in a should statement, we start off with the assumption that we need to be better in some way. It implies that whatever we're doing now is wrong or not enough. We should be doing something else or we should be doing more. In reality, maybe we could go to the gym more. But the statement we should go to the gym is really just a preference. At best, a should is a wish, but more often it's a criticism of ourselves. Of course, now I have the problem here of my advice being that you should stop using the word should, but let's instead go with you could stop using the word should. See how it feels. And of course, there are plenty of times that the word comes up in neutral situations. I should wait to cross the street. I should see if that place has tacos. Because if they do, I'm definitely going. But in contexts where we're using the word to judge ourselves, it might be a good idea to see if we can't reword our statement. Take our, I should go to the gym more, and change it to, I will try to go to the gym more. And we can change, I should get back to work, to, I'll set a timer and get back to work after my break. Or we can change, I should stop thinking this way, to, I see that I'm having toxic thoughts right now. Is what I'm thinking true? How can I reword what I'm saying? And notice here that when we move on from should, our language also becomes more action-oriented. Instead of an implied action from should, we're instead focusing on how we're actually going to make that change we want. Removing these negative shoulds from our vocabulary is just a step in working on being kinder to ourselves. When we take the time to be mindful and notice our language, we can improve how we communicate with ourselves and create better outcomes. There's this word, sonder, and it means the realization that each random passerbyer is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. Right now, as you listen to this podcast, you are going to be joined by thousands of other people who are also listening in. And yet, more than likely, you're never going to interact with them. But nonetheless, all of you are out there living your life and doing your own thing. Oftentimes, we get caught up in our heads only thinking about ourselves we find ourselves thinking that we're experiencing the world on our own. And that brings us to our next area of self-compassion, common humanity. The idea behind common humanity is about connection. It's about seeing that while we're individuals, we're also part of the shared human experience. As humans, we're imperfect beings, all of us. 
Often when we're hurting or in shame, we feel isolated and disconnected from the world. We become absorbed by our own feelings of insufficiency and insecurity. We feel as if we're the only ones who've experienced the feelings we're feeling. But the truth is we're part of that shared experience. The reason that I often share my own stories on this podcast is because it can help you relate to what I'm saying more. Instead of just saying that it's hard for us to keep track of time, if I give you a story of how I have trouble with my own timekeeping and some of the solutions that have worked for me, that is much more powerful. Part of ADHD is that we don't always relate to neurotypicals in the same way. We have times where we tell our neurotypical friends that we have trouble with things like losing our keys, getting distracted, or feeling unable to get organized, and we hear them say, oh, I do that too. I guess everyone's a little ADHD. But this isn't relating. It's minimizing our experience. I'm not a little ADHD sometimes. I'm ADHD all the time. I have to work really hard to keep up with things, and when my systems fail, it's not like I can just do a little catch-up to get back on track. I religiously use my calendar, not because I'm an organized person, but because if I didn't, I'd miss pretty much everything. Even with how much I use my calendar, just last week I got a text asking me if I could reschedule a meeting because they weren't going to be able to make it. And then I just stared at that text for a minute because I had completely forgotten about that meeting and would have missed it if they didn't need to reschedule. That was some divine providence there. But nonetheless, it still illustrates the point that even with all that work I do with my calendar, I still miss things. And that's frustrating. One of the most powerful things I've found for helping with my ADHD is connecting with other people. People who have ADHD. Whether it's online or in person, there is something special about being able to relate your experience with someone else. When I'd relate some struggle I was having with ADHD, there was always someone who had a similar story, some similar struggle. And it was that connection that while my ADHD is unique to me, I'm still part of the ADHD experience. And while we don't all have the same struggles, we all have struggles. This recognition helped me understand my ADHD better, and it helped me be less judgmental of where I was struggling. It was easier for me to accept that, yeah, this isn't easy. This is actually really hard. And that thought there has saved me a ton of emotional turmoil because too often I would beat myself up because I believed that what I was doing was supposed to be easy. And since I couldn't do it, that meant I was bad at being a person. But when I understood that it wasn't just me who was struggling, it helped me let go of that belief. We can use this knowledge to help us through those times where we hurt. We can remind ourselves that we aren't alone, that we're not the only people going through what we're going through. We can say, I'm hurting, but I'm not alone. And even if you're still feeling alone, you can acknowledge that feeling too. Because guess what? There are other people who are feeling alone too. We don't have to try and hide our feelings from ourselves. Sometimes we're going to be feeling crappy and alone. But it's better for us to acknowledge those feelings and work our way through them than to try and deny that they exist. And the best way i found to do that is by connecting with others. One of the most surprising things about self-compassion is that it's such a hard sell. For most of my life, I've been told that I'm a thoughtful and nice person, and yet the idea of extending that same thoughtfulness and kindness to myself was something that was really hard for me to accept. Part of that disconnect came from the fact that when I'm dealing with other people, I'm only seeing a fraction of their life. With me, I see everything. I can empathize with other people because I can assume the best in them. But with me, I know the truth. Or at least that's what I would tell myself. As a perfectionist, I saw myself as always lesser than my standards. 
And also as a perfectionist, I guaranteed that I'd always fall short because I was creating expectations that no one would be able to meet. The idea that I could let up on myself was so foreign that I wouldn't even consider it. I was lucky that I broke out of a lot of that thinking. It never led me down any good paths. Part of my escape came from having kids. One of my key beliefs is that if I want to teach something to my kids, then I have to model it for them. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure that they didn't get from me was that anger I had for myself. I wanted them to feel like they had self-worth no matter what they did. And as I thought on that, I realized that was something I was going to have to model for them too. So I set out on a goal to figure out how to make that possible. It wasn't easy, and I'm still on that journey, but it's been worthwhile. But as I've gone on, it's gotten easier and easier for me to start finding this self-compassion. Of course, when I first started practicing self-compassion, it felt forced and inauthentic. I'd say the words, and I'd be kind to myself on the outside, but on the inside, I could still hear that voice telling me that I was trash. At first, I fought the voice, because that wasn't okay for it to say those things about me. It was holding me back from truly adopting self-compassion. And since that voice was part of me, that meant I was holding me back from embracing self-compassion. And only someone who's trash would call themselves trash, right? I found that fighting the voice wasn't effective for me. It just led me to finding different ways to avoid self-compassion. Eventually, I sought out to try and understand the voice. I sat down with my journal and asked, What is this part of me trying to accomplish? Does it really just want to tear me down? As I wrote, I was shocked to find I didn't believe that the voice was trying to tear me down. It was actually trying to make me better. I mean, it wasn't doing a good job of it, but that was still its ultimate goal. My voice of perfectionism wasn't the enemy. It was just diluted. And this meant that I didn't need to fight the voice. I just needed to teach it that we could take a different path. If I could work with that voice in my head instead of against it, we could do so much more. And so it was through empathy that I found my way forward. It was through a series of nudges and reframing that I slowly got my internal dialogue to start matching my external dialogue. Instead of the voice telling me that I was trash, we started moving to things like, yeah, that wasn't great, but I know we'll do better next time. It's still pushing me, but now it's trying to do so in a way that doesn't make me hate myself. The most hilarious example of the change in my inner dialogue came when I was lounging on my couch earlier this year. It was a lazy Sunday, but I had part of me telling me that I should get up and do things, and that I shouldn't be lazy. And then my inner voice kicked in and asked, yeah, says who? And I just had to laugh. My voice had transformed so far that it was supporting me taking care of myself and having a lazy Sunday. It identified when I was shooting on myself. My brain was correcting an automatic negative thought all on its own. This reflection with my inner voice is just part of my path of self-compassion. It combined the aspects of identifying what I was thinking, so mindfulness, and then moving into a healthier self-perspective, or self-kindness. But it also spawned from that connection with my kids, and also that these are emotions that everyone has, and that was the common humanity piece of it. And that's an important piece to understand here, is that self-compassion is combining all three of these ideas. We can get by with just being mindful or self-compassionate, or having that connection with other people. But when we combine them, we can find that way where we love ourselves. As I've said a number of times already, self-compassion isn't always easy, but nonetheless, it's worthwhile. We can do hard things, and we can be compassionate to ourselves. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. 
Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. One, self-kindness is about understanding that we have unconditional worth and accepting ourselves even with our shortcomings. Two, one way we can practice self-kindness is by being kind to ourselves with our words. One word that can cause a lot of harm is the word should, which often brings connotations of shame and unworthiness. Three, common humanity is about connecting with those around us and understanding that what we're going through isn't unique. We're all part of the human experience, and even when we're feeling alone, we can know that there are people who have also gone through what we're going through. Four, when we put together mindfulness, self-kindness, and common humanity, we can create our own practice of self-compassion. When we're being self-compassionate, we're able to cut ourselves some slack and learn to be happier with who we are. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HackingYourADHD. If you've got questions for me, I've also got a new system set up to take them. Just head over to HackingYourADHD.com contact and click the orange button. It'll let you record your question, and if I can, I'll answer it on the show. If you want to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your podcast player or share this episode. You can also check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash hackingyouradhd. If you're this far into the end of the show, you might also be interested in the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahanshow, ADHD Essentials. I also do a live Q&A with Eric and Brendan every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com events. And now for your moment of dad. A burglar stole all my lamps. I thought I'd be upset, but instead I've just been delighted.